We are speaking with Professor Edward Curtin, who teaches sociology at the Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts. He has been writing on the precarious situation the world finds itself in regarding the potential for a new world war emanating from the Middle East. Professor Curtin, you've been writing about the American empire on your website, edwardcurtin.com. Could you tell us a bit about uh, where you're coming from, what prompted you to write on these uh, issues, and how you view the American empire? Well, thank you uh, for having me. Yes, I'd be glad to tell you why I write on these things and what my motivation is. It goes back a long time uh, to when I was uh, actually in college and after the next few years after college, uh, I had the good fortune to have a wonderful college teacher by the name of Bill Frayne, who introduced me to Actually, one book I remember in particular, it was about a German, a peasant fellow who uh, named Franz Jägerstatter, who defied Hitler and refused to serve in the armed forces in Germany and was uh, subsequently beheaded. Uh, he did this against the uh, advice from his family, from the Catholic Church, from all the authorities. And it really inspired me. And then subsequently, I was in the, the Marines and was introduced to Father Daniel Berrigan, a famous anti-war priest who became a mentor to me. I became a conscientious objector during the Vietnam War. And so since that time, I've been disturbed by the American empire, which has a long history which goes back to the founding of this country and what they call manifest destiny, in which native peoples were slaughtered and people were brought into slavery from Africa. And then over the years, I, I've been addressing these issues. And the American empire has, of course, subsequent to World War II and the formation of the Central Intelligence Agency taken on a new form and spread uh, further uh, around the world, and it seems to be everywhere these days trying to, to conquer nations, instigate and start wars. And so I was very, very disturbed from a young age by all of this, and I suppose you could say it was my conscience that disturbed me. It has gotten me very mad and ashamed of this country. And so that is why I write about it. Did you start your blog not too long ago? Yes, I started the blog uh, to to post what I write probably a couple of years ago at the instigation of my daughter and son-in-law because they felt that my writing should have one place for it. Uh, but I've been writing about these things for a long time. Many of my works were never published by the mainstream press because they were too 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 critical of the the establishment and this goes back many many years but with the introduction of the internet and many good alternative websites uh, my voice is, has gotten out there more and one of the pieces that became recently very popular and was reposted around the internet on independent uh, news sites and alternative alternative media sites was the wars to end all war, and in there you discuss how the U.S. and Israel are looking for pretexts to start a proper war in Syria, which would spread into Lebanon, 
Iran and perhaps beyond. Most of America's wars have been based on lies. Some of the most famous are Vietnam's Gulf of Tonkin non-incident, Iraq's non-existent WMDs. At this moment, Russia and Syria are being accused of using chemical weapons. Uh, when we know they were, um, a few years ago, they were handed over to the West and gotten rid of, so there are none. Um, but we, know, uh, we also know that the U.S. supported jihadis in Syria are the actual culprits, and the Russian military has recently openly stated this. And finally, the evidence in the London attack against this double agent, Sergei Skripal, um, continues to support this this line, there's there's no evidence, and Britain and the U.S. are just shouting at the top of their lungs, and it sounds again like the Iraq, Vietnam, and so on. So, I mean, how, how can they keep on getting away with this? And can you comment on this? What's what's going on? Well, yes, uh, I think it all is what um, John Pilger, the the eminent uh, journalist, calls a uh, carefully constructed drama. And uh, this drama has been going on a long time, and there have been so many false flag attacks. The list is so long, it goes way back in, in history. But I would add to what you said, I think perhaps uh, before I get to this recent case of Sergei Skripal in, in uh, Salisbury, England, one of the most important, if not the most important, is the uh, attacks of September 11th. 2001, and the subsequent linked anthrax attacks, which have been documented and analyzed astutely by Graham McQueen, who's a Canadian researcher and writer, and who, who also just wrote a, a tremendous piece about manufactured war triggers. And I think the, the Scripple case is, well, sometimes it, it just makes me laugh. It's so absurd. But because it's so serious, you want to cry. It's just patent propaganda. And where it's leading is in a very dangerous place because there's a massive propaganda campaign to blame Russia, not only for that, uh, but it seems for everything else in the world. I think there's growing evidence that in Syria or in Lebanon, the Russians will be blamed together with the Syrians for some kind of gas attack, sarin attack, chemical attack, without any evidence. And this will lead to a greatly expanded Middle East war. Now, I'm not trying to paint, uh, you know, on this podcast, geopolitics and empire. We try to look at things uh, objectively. Uh, everybody's sure. biased and we, we have our own perspectives. Um, but I try not to look at it ideologically. And, you know, no one's really a good guy here. We're not trying to say the Russians uh, are, are good guys necessarily because, you know, I taught a course at university on 9-11 and, and terrorism. I was actually asked to, to teach on that. And we looked at everything. And, you know, you mentioned 9-11. Uh, that yes. looks like a military intelligence operation uh, that w with elements of, of the United States government, anyone who seriously analyzes that. And, you know, in 1999, in Moscow, in Russia, there were a series of apartment bombings. And there's American academics who have published on this that where the evidence shows that that likely, too, was a state-sponsored uh, terrorist operation. So we're not trying to say that 
you know, this is something that every state does in, in history. But in this moment in, in time, what's, what's going on is, is very serious. And in this moment in time, in this context, Russia doesn't seem to be, they just seem to be minding their own business. And if you can just comment on, on Russiagate, because to me, it's Russiagate looks all concocted. Again, there's no evidence. And it seems to be to start either to start a war, to distract American public, uh, or for some other reasons, there hasn't been evidence of collusion between Russia and Trump. Um, and people like Ray McGovern and the veteran intelligence professionals for Sanity, WikiLeaks, Kim.com, and all these other experts have explained, you know, there was there were no election hacks. Uh, what are your thoughts on the, the whole Russia gate and making Russia out to be a monster? Sure. Um, let me say this. Uh, uh, I agree with you about the apartment bombing in Moscow in, in 99. And none of these uh, countries are innocent little children. We're talking about major states, whether it's Russia or the United States. But in, in, in recent days, as you, you said, uh, <clears throat> Russia has been minding their own business. The Russiagate affair is, again, uh, in Pilger's words, uh, another carefully constructed drama. I believe it was conjured up when Trump, probably as a surprise to him as well, was elected president. Uh, actually, it started before then. And it was a, I would call it a plot, a conspiracy to make sure that if Trump somehow was elected, the Russian connection would be the reason to use to undermine his presidency and as I uh, wrote a year ago, used the deep state forces to to undermine him as best they could. And I think we, we know now that the Steele dossier, which was uh, paid for by the Hillary Clinton team and the Democratic National Committee, was very instrumental in that, and that the FBI, the Obama administration, were all involved in this including the people in the news these days, Comey, McCabe, Mueller, etc. It's simply uh, a false story. Looking at the media, one final question that I wanted to ask about the media, which for me, yeah. this is very interesting, and I'd like to hear what you have to say on this. On the coverage of this, it seems, if I'm not mistaken, that the right-wing media, at least on Russiagate, seems to have gotten it right, while the mainstream media and uh, left-wing publications have been getting it wrong, except for a few. And But you, you mentioned in your article, what amazes me are certain publications such as Who, What, Why? Uh, and I'd like to say that I have great respect for Russ Baker. We've interviewed him a couple times, and I, I like what the work that Who, What, Why does. I've donated to them. But I can't understand, he, he does, he buys into the Russiagate uh, issue, and I can't understand how some organizations uh, get things that I think are obvious wrong, and my, my sense is that individuals or media outlets sub subject themselves completely to their ideology, uh, you know, if you're right-wing or left-wing, uh, uh, you will find any justification to support, uh, to go against your enemies like if you're left wing you know trump republican right wing putin and russia are your enemy so you will use any um ammunition you can even if it's not 
true, uh, you know, I think we need to be more nuanced and follow the evidence where it leads, regardless whether if we are right or, or left. So, I mean, what's your take on these media organizations that get some things right and then some obvious things wrong? Yeah, um, I, I agree with you. Uh, some of my writing is published on uh, conservative websites as well as uh, far-left uh, anti-empire uh, websites, uh, which uh, I'm, I'm proud of uh, because uh, I think it's, it, it's important to, to have that nuanced view that you speak about. Uh, Robert Parry, Ray McGovern, uh, Paul Craig Roberts, these people all have written uh, about Russiagate. And then, uh, you know, I think it's, 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 it's very obvious if you follow their writing that this is a, a conjured trick, to put it that way, to, 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 to get Trump and to get Russia at the same time. And uh, who, what, why, for example, Russ Baker, I, I, I know him. They seem to be obsessed with Trump for some reason. And of course, I, I don't like Trump, and I never did. And I think he is more or less a, a, a real estate TV reality guy who got elected to his surprise. He, he's more or less a, a clown. But why they keep focusing on that to the exclusion of the obvious falseness of Russiagate, I don't know. I can't really answer for them. But they're not the only publication. There are others as well. Yeah, that's something that's been bothering me uh, for a while. But I mean, we'll just have to... Well, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the, the so-called liberal press is totally caught up in uh, this anti-Russia hysteria. A great deal of it, actually. And it's, it's very frightening, actually, that now liberals are on this anti-Russia bandwagon, which is leading us to, to a, a possible nuclear war. And that was my next question, to talk about your, your article. Uh, you recently wrote, it a, wrote a, a second piece. What do you think is America's agenda in the Middle East? We have NATO war games maps from a decade ago that uh, show a map of the Middle East where it's balkanized. And there's even a 1979 map by Bernard Lewis, which similarly shows the Middle East balkanized. There's this idea for a greater Israel, or perhaps it's all for a longer term game as uh, a forward deployment towards Russia. You know, once Syria is taken down, that can be used to forward deploy to the real, perhaps the real main dish, Russia. I don't know. What, what, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think it is the, the ultimate goal is Russia to take down Russia. But it, it runs through the Middle East, which is another part of uh, this chess game that they're playing, this dangerous chess game. You know, as in the last few weeks, there have been multiple, multiple war games in the Mediterranean between the USA, NATO, Israel, major war games. There has been uh, an Israeli military drill simulating uh, a war in the Middle East with Russia when Russia intervenes in Syria after the Israelis attack Syria. I believe that the, the, the overall agenda is for greater Israel under the government in Israel today to destroy 
and partition Syria, to uh, destroy Yemen, and to create chaos in the Middle East, leaving only Israel standing. And this aimed also at, uh, obviously, Iran. And I think one of the keys to it all are the Palestinians, who are considered totally dispensable to the United States and to Israel. And they are being squeezed and squeezed and squeezed more and more and uh, suffering more and more. They'll have the tiniest postage stamp to live on at the end of all of this if it keeps going. So I think that's basically, but the ultimate goal, Russia, I would say, I would agree with you. And in your article, you sounded very almost sure. You think the U.S. and Israel will invade Syria and, and Lebanon. I mean, they're trying their best to sell the war to world public opinion. But you think they yeah. might back down if they can't sell it? Or, I mean, you think it's, it's really they're going to go in? Well, I hope they back down. But I do think that they will... Well, the United States is already in Syria, obviously, as is Israel and in, 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 in Lebanon. But I, I do think that there will be a major assault on Syria. I don't think the United States will, you know, and the U.S. works hand in glove with the Israelis, of course. It's almost like one country in the Middle East. I don't think they can allow the Assad government to stand and to, to triumph over these terrorists who are trying to take down the Syrian government. So yes, I do, I do think when it will happen, I don't know, but I think this is where it's moving. But I, but I hope, as I think you do, that it never happens. But all, all signs point in that direction. These war games, this you know, Israeli military drill at the highest levels of, of the, the IDF, they all point in that direction. Let's hope not. Yeah, I would agree with you. This is, you know, this is why we do podcasts like this, and you write articles, is that to draw people's attention to these things because you know we want peace. Who wants war? You know, we want peace between peoples. And what are your thoughts? Uh, we had Rex Tillerson, who was just booted out. He had only, you know, financial business experience, no military intelligence experience. And he was replaced by CIA Mike Pompeo. And immediately the first reading I got was they're going to the next level by putting somebody like Pompeo in who has this military intelligence background. And they're getting more serious about war. Yeah, I think that that was a turning point, putting him in it. Well, he hasn't been confirmed yet. Uh, but he probably will be. And he is far more belligerent in terms of war and far further to the right than uh, Tillerson was. And that's an ominous sign. And then they, they're trying to put this woman, Gina Haspel, in as head of the CIA. She is a promoter of the torture and ran a torture center. I believe it was in Thailand. And that's a, a, a further provocation in in the direction of war. But then, you know, the CIA is, as the esteemed author Doug Valentine says, you know, they're organized criminals. This is what they do. So if she's ever confirmed, which I hope she isn't, of course, but it's, it's, it's another sign. All these signs are popping up. And as you said, the, the reason I write about all of this 
from many different perspectives, actually, is in the, in the hope that it can all be stopped, that we, we don't move. Because if, if we keep going in this direction, there will be a confrontation with Russia. And we haven't mentioned also that for the U.S. midterm elections that 25% of the Democrats are, that, that, are, that were running for the Democratic um, offices were CIA military intelligence. So you've got Pompeo, you've got this new potential head of the uh, CIA having personally carried out torture, and then 25%, you have, you have them moving in, um, into office, these people with CIA military intelligence backgrounds—that's like another sign. It just—it's becoming into this military, full-on military state. Absolutely, it sure is. And you—I'm sure—are familiar with something called Operation Mockingbird, which was the CIA program that allegedly ended years ago, but which is in full operation still, uh, perhaps under a different name in which the CIA places their people throughout all of the media worldwide. And now, as you say, they're, they're, they're placing them into elected office throughout the United States. Well, I guess you could say the mainstream media or the corporate media or what Paul Craig Roberts calls the prostitutes is a CIA operation. The Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN, you know, down the line. They have CIA analysts on all the time or ex-CIA analysts. They don't have Ray McGovern on there, but they have these other characters who, who push for war and give the viewer a sense that they're in the know when, in fact, they're in the dark. Before going on to, to talk about this conflict with Russia, what are your mm -hmm. thoughts on President Putin and Russia? Like we said, they seem to be minding their own business. They're trying to reestablish themselves after having suffered economically, uh, economic and political instability. And I was in Russia last year. I'm living in the former Soviet uh, Republic in this moment. And I think one thing Americans really don't understand that if, if they have not been to Russia and spoken to Russians, I mean, they really have to understand the how bad Russians have suffered in the 20th century and the effects that, that, that are still felt here. And they do not want war. I don't believe the people want, they don't want war. I don't think the politicians in Russia want war. Um, and so, I mean, what are your thoughts as an American and perhaps the people around you where, where you live in the U.S. that you come across on a daily basis? I mean, what's your feel for Putin and, and Russia? Well, I think most of the people that I encounter in, in my daily life, you know, and I'm a college teacher, so students are rather out of it when it comes to knowing what's going on in the world. But many, quote, liberal people think of Russia as the devil. They think of Putin as the devil. And they've been subject to so much propaganda for so many years. But I agree with you that uh, Russians and Putin, I believe as well, do not want war. They've suffered tremendously. They have been pushed into a corner by the betrayals of the United States and NATO moving up to their border with missiles, missiles that Putin correctly said could be converted to offensive weapons within an hour or so. And so Russia is surrounded by American 
military might. And if that's not a provocation, I, I don't know what is. So I think that Putin is trying to be and is, in fact, quite statesmanlike in his approach to these things and is trying to, to, to avoid at all costs war with the United States. Because as he said, he knows where it's leading. If it leads to a nuclear war, that's the end for all of us. He knows that. I'm sure he's not suicidal, nor are the Russians. So I I agree with you. I, I think he's been backed into a corner, and it's been years of propaganda. And he was lied to when NATO and the U.S. said they would not move east. And they've moved as far east as they could possibly get to surround uh, Russia today. And he said just recently, and I said uh, before that, that imagine if you were the United States and there were Russian missiles and troops in Canada, in Mexico, in Cuba. Think of the Cuban Missile Crisis. What would Americans think? What would the American president think? So uh, I, I have, I respect President Putin for the efforts he's taking to avoid war. And recently the U.S. released their nuclear posture review, and if I'm not mistaken, they said it was okay to use tactical nukes. And Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov recently stated that U.S. and NATO are preparing for war with Russia by training European armies in the use of tactical nukes. So let's just talk about the scenario if, if this really happened, if U.S., Israel went into Syria, this just escalated. We don't know, you know, World War One, World War Two. nobody knew how it would happen. Things just led one thing to another. What, yeah. would, what, would, what would this Third World War look like, in your opinion? Would it be just the use of tactical nukes or, or, or what? What a horrible thought all around, isn't it? I don't think it could be limited to tactical nuclear weapons. I think there are too many accidents. I think there are too many unpredictable scenarios. There are too many crazy people in charge, especially here in the United States. I know that in Ukraine, the uh, Poroshenko, just this week or last week in eastern Ukraine, uh, his so-called anti-terrorist operation, he has just handed it over to the joint as a joint forces operation under uh, the deputy chief of the armed forces. So it's now uh, gone from anti-terrorism to general armed forces uh, fight called Joint Forces Operation or something like that. That's a very ominous move as well. So I, again, it's also unpredictable where it will lead, but I don't have much confidence that it could stop at a tactical nuclear exchange. And I, I would just add that, you know, Daniel Ellsberg recently wrote a book on uh, nuclear war and nuclear strategy. I think he makes it clear in that book how, how precarious our situation is, how close to midnight we are. But most people don't believe it. They think it's just not possible. And I think they're living in, in illusions. It's very possible. You've previously written uh, about Martin Luther King, how he was assassinated for opposing the wrongs of the empire at home. And abroad, yes. I, we don't really need to discuss that he was assassinated by the government. 
the King family themselves, again, most people won't know this, uh, in 1999, they took the government to court. They reopened uh, the case. They won uh, the verdict that stated that government agencies uh, were involved in the assassination. And it's on the King Family Center's uh, own website, the thousand pages of transcripts there. So people can go look at that. Yes. Uh, the, the evidence is there, so we don't, we don't have to discuss that. Um, but... The U.S. likes to boast from their moral high horse about how countries around the world uh, imprison uh, or, or kill dissidents, like w with the latest case with, with Skripal. Uh, and, you know, America's the best. We, we, we do no wrong. It's this idea of, you know, American exceptionalism. Um, yet in America, we see dissidents blacklisted, uh, exiled abroad like Snowden and, and many others. And even die yeah. on, under suspicious circumstances as well, like Skripal. You had Michael Hastings, the journalist, uh, Pat Tillman, the athlete soldier, and you can go on and on. So if you can comment a bit, you mentioned John Pilger earlier, uh, Daniel Ellsberg. How dangerous and important is dissent today in America? You know, healthy dissent, nonviolent dissent. Why are there only a handful of people like John, uh, Oliver Stone, Rand Pauls of the world? Why don't more people speak up? Well, I think they're afraid. You mentioned Oliver Stone, just a wonderful artist, citizen, world citizen, U.S. citizen. You know, he's, he's known primarily probably for, for his film on JFK and the JFK assassination, which is crucially important in this whole issue of dissent because we know what what, what has happened and continues to happen around uh, the CIA state-sponsored assassination of, of President Kennedy. How many people have died, have been disappeared down through the years? Uh, the same is true uh, to a lesser extent with, with Martin Luther King, and then we have Robert Kennedy and, and Malcolm X and the whole series of people who have been killed uh, by uh, the U.S. government, and I think people are afraid, traumatized, actually, and they're they're living in some some bubble, some illusionary world, a world of make believe, because it's too harsh a reality to 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 face. At the same time, dissent in America is 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 under assault. Uh, we have Facebook and Google, all of these media companies cracking down on left-wing sites. We have RT having to declare itself a foreign agent. We have an attempt now to do the same to Al Jazeera. So it's, it's a very dark time. And I think there's, there's a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. I suppose that's why there aren't that many dissidents or people like uh, Oliver Stone or, or Jim Douglas, the author of the book JFK and the Unspeakable, or William Pepper, the author of the book on King, or, or David Talbot, the author of the book on the CIA and Alan Dulles. So, so many people like that. Fear, I suppose. Fear. And is there any other point uh, you'd like to comment on that I may have missed something important? Uh, I, well, if, if, if I could say this about how, how to get through to people, regular people, and I think regular people are generally of goodwill around the world, but they're subject to so much propaganda. It's really hard to reach them. I know for myself, speaking for myself, I, I tried to do this in, in various ways. 
not just by writing directly about the political, sociological, the propaganda directly, but to do it through satire. And again, satire has fallen on hard times. <laughs> People don't, don't get it these days. I guess they're not in the mood for laughing. But we, we need new approaches to try to reach regular people. I'm not sure how to do it. I've been trying to do it. As you might notice from my uh, blog site, my website, where I published a lot of personal essays that have this political element to them, though. Yeah, I would agree. Satire is one of the best ways to do it. And it's it's not easy. It's, it's, it's uh, difficult. And just on that final thought, you teach... Uh, at a college and you know I, I also taught at high school university and I find it, it's tough to get through to, to this generation to get them to care but not only you know you, you have brilliant students as well but they also get this huge bias you know at the, at the university and I feel like uh, we're outnumbered in a way because they go through this educational system that puts in so many biases and it's how hard to un, un, undo that. Do you have any comment on, on, on the younger folks? Well I, well, I do, yes. First, I'd say that they have, been, um, they have been induced to become drug addicts, the, the drug being the, uh, the phone. And they are addicted to social media, can't keep their eyes off it, can't keep themselves off the phone. And in, within the university setting, uh, the universities have totally capitulated, totally, uh, with, with rare exceptions, to, to uh, this uh, propaganda onslaught. Throughout academia, as far as I can tell, there are very, very few people who are willing to broach the subjects that you and I have uh, just talked about out of fear. Fear runs rampant throughout uh, the university system here in the United States. Uh, and I think it's the liberal capitulation to the warfare state, to the propaganda. And people want careers. They don't want to step out of line. They don't want to dissent. And many of them don't realize what's going on. You know, Obama is a perfect example. He was just loved by uh, most liberal university type people. And he waged at least six wars. He killed people with drones. Uh, he, he was an abomination. And now, now we have Trump, and, and they're, they're all up in arms, you know, about Trump. But he's just a continuation of Obama. And Obama was a continuation of Bush. And Bush, it was a continuation of Clinton. And it goes down the line. It goes all the way down the line. With one exception, I would say, and that was uh, in the last year of his life, President Kennedy who turned against the warfare state and was assassinated as a result. The only president of the United States who changed by a miracle, really. Speaking uh, of Kennedy on that last point, just a few days ago, uh, it was released. The speech that he was going to give that day in Dallas was reconstructed through technology uh, with him actually speaking it. They were able to recreate him sp speaking that. Uh, speech so people can find that online and we thank you professor curtin uh, people can find your writings at edwardcurtin.com and i'll post the link uh, we hope you continue writing your pieces get reposted uh, in many places i know global research and, and many other websites thank you again well thank you Havoya, for um 
for having me on. It's been really good talking to you, even though the topics are not the happy face topics. Well, people can go elsewhere for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they can. Well, thanks.